It is another great opportunity we have been blessed with to be able to assemble as thy people, to assemble for the purpose of worship. And tonight, as we turn our attention to the lesson tonight, it's one I've entitled Motivation for 2020. And as was read for us earlier from that uh, book chapter and verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we're going to be talking about evangelism tonight. And not only tonight, but for the next few months, we're going to be focused on the topic of evangelism, how to successfully get into a Bible study, and how to effectively win the souls of the lost that are around us. And tonight, I know each of us sitting in here assembled as Christians, New Testament Christians and members of the church, and if I were to ask you to raise your hands and, and would ask you to, if you knew anybody around you that were lost, I know every hand in this auditorium would be up. We all have individuals around us, be it our neighbors, our friends, our family members, and our co-workers that are lost. They may be religious, they may be atheist, but regardless, either way, they're lost. They're not a member of the body of Christ. And so for our motivation for tonight, on, by way of introduction, we are going to look starting from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is, is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. As New Testament Christians, there is nothing that we can do better for our service to God than to be soul winners. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, with a nail-pierced hand, Jesus pointed to a world that was lost and said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And it, myself included in this, I know we can all make a, a real effort to be more effective at soul winning for evangelism efforts, and I'll be the first to admit I've not been doing some things correctly. And I know we all can improve in that, in that endeavor. And that next point on that slide is a reality that the Church of Christ is suffering in America. And although that many we pray for our country, but in reality and primarily, the future of America sets in the pews of the churches of Christ. If the church dies, America will die. And again, our lesson text from Second Timothy chapter two, verse two, that was read for us earlier, that is a pronouncement for everyone. It's not just the preacher, it's not just the elders, but for everyone that's a member of the body of Christ to be evangelistic to be able to teach others also, to bring others to the cross, and to bring others to the gospel of Christ. And the material that we're going to look at tonight, I've listed three main points that we're going to be looking at tonight. And these points were taken from the personal evangelism seminar that Brother Rob Whitaker did here at the congregation, I believe about two, a little over two years ago now. And we're going to look at some of those things tonight. 
And also, in the continuation of the lessons, I know each of us may be familiar with these booklets. They are the Back to the Bible booklets. These are used as a tool for the personal evangelism work. And it's my intent over the next few lessons to preach Back to the Bible to you so that you can have a master copy. We'll fill those out together. The lesson will be surrounded by the material in those booklets. And it'll be an attempt to demonstrate the effectiveness, the effectiveness of them on the authority of the scriptures, the church, and the plan of salvation. And in due time, if it be the will of God, we'll do that. And the next point on that slide, a troubling one that faces the church, is that the devil has deceived us very well that evangelism does not work in America anymore. We are slipping and decaying morally. The churches, the body of Christ, and the congregations throughout the brotherhood are becoming more liberal. But I'm fully convinced, and I know that we all can agree, that if America is not past saving. Like mentioned before, the, Amer the future of this country sits in the pews of the churches of Christ. And if we don't understand that and don't wake up from that, we're going to continue to suffer and we're going to continue to decline. And so that'll be the purpose of this series, to motivate us for 2020 to make a real effort at this, not only individually, but congregationally. And I have spoken with the elders, and we're going to make um, some things uh, available to you. We're going to purchase some more Back to the Bible booklets here in the next upcoming months, so everybody can have a set and a copy of those. And we can all appreciate the effectiveness that those have and the effective pattern of the New Testament as demonstrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul there speaking that he planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And if we will keep that motivation in mind for evangelism efforts, God's promise to give us increase. So as we turn the slide to consider these trends uh, in the churches of Christ, Brother Rob Whitaker made note of this, I do believe, in the seminar, and I'll not read all these, but we noticed starting in, from the year in 1906, we can notice the population, and we can notice the members of the Churches of Christ was at 159,658, and that would be a ratio of about 1 to 535 individuals. Now, that's not great. That's struggling. But as you continue to look on the, the chart there, that number continued to get better. And I've got highlight the best years that the church exploded in evangelism in America were from starting in 1967 through roughly through the middle part and the end of the 1970s. We had 2,350,000 members and both of those years was a rate, or I'm sorry, in that span of time was a ratio of 1 to 84. Can you imagine for one out of every 84 people that you come in contact with were a member of the Church of Christ? We were becoming great. And in fact, I found this interesting. There is a dictionary, uh, a copy of a 1953 dictionary, and under the word Christian, it had the term Campbellite. Now, we all know Campbellite is used in a derogatory way to, for those that, that 
would like to call us that. But to think that we were directly a definition, uh, given a definition for the word Christian in 1953. We can see that again in America. And continuing on through those numbers, something happened in the 80s, 90s, and become, coming into the early 2000s where we started to decline again. And we forgot how to do personal evangelism. We are growing up in a society, with, especially for our children, that they do not know how to do personal evangelism. They do not know what a personal Bible study looks like or how it effectively can take place. And as we're going to notice some of those troubling things that some churches are doing that's not really effective, we're going to notice those a little later in the lesson tonight. But as we continue through these points and looking at these methods, that'll bring us to our next slide. And this is point one, and Brother Rob Whitaker pointed this out in the seminar, is that is to defer and not don't debate. Now, what do I mean by deferred, not debating? And that has to do related to how we answer questions. Friends, when someone comes up to us and they're not a member of the church and they know we're a, church, a member of the church of Christ, they're going to have questions regardless, whether they're sincere or not. And to be effective, effective at this and to get them into a Bible study, we've got to stop answering their questions. And I know that may sound strange, and I know that may sound odd, but we have to ultimately get them into the Bible, to a Bible study. We want them to read the Bible for themselves. So we have to defer. So what do we mean by deferring? And in the example that I've got listed there in the next point, I'm sure if you're like myself, many of you may have, have, have a coworker, a neighbor, a friend that's asked you, why do you in the Church of Christ not believe in music? Now we can either answer that question and go through the long discourse of explaining the Greek words of the forms of music from the passages, or we can defer that question. And by deferring that question, I mean this. If they ask us that, we can say, do you all use instruments of music in your, in your assembly? Or do you, what kind of songs do you sing? Where we attend, we sing Trust and Obey, Amazing Grace, Walking in the Light, and others. Do you all sing those songs? So we see we're not answering the question, but we're deferring it. And then when they consider on, you're looking for the right time to offer the invitation for a Bible study. And as we'll notice later in the lesson, we've got to learn how to show and not tell. But if we look to Jesus, if you would be turning with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus used this method of defer and not debating. Now Jesus did get into long public discussions admittedly, but very, very seldom would he ever debate to get a teaching across that was fundamental for a person. So as we turn to Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 18, we see here, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this certain ruler 
asked Jesus the question of all questions. He asked, what should I do? What can I do? What must I do to be saved? But you notice Jesus did not answer that question. Look at Jesus' response in verse 19. Why callest me thou good? None is good save one that is God. He didn't answer the question. He was waiting for the proper time to address this young ruler, and he did in the next few verses. But he didn't spit out the answer right then and there. Because, and we may ask why. Why would we not want to answer the question? Friends, it's very simple. In John chapter 16, verse 12, it's for this reason. Jesus speaking here says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. You see, when we're answering questions from a person that does not have the proper concepts, they have no foundation for understanding the importance of, be it singing in the worship, be it the plan of salvation. And taking this approach, they're not ready for that answer. As we're going to notice later in the lesson with another example, you may have had someone ask you, you and the church of Christ think you're the only ones going to heaven. Do you think that? And that's a loaded question. That is one of the greatest of all questions. And I know that we are tempted to answer that. But we may address that in this way. May I show you the answer to that? As we're going to notice on the next slide. You see, we can't answer that directly because they're not ready for that question. They have no understanding of what the church is or what the blood-bought body of Christ is. So we must wait and look for the right time to offer the opportunity for a Bible study. And this is going to vary from situation to situation, depending on how well we know the person. But we may notice here in this, this scenario with Jesus and other teachings as well, as Jesus was not interested in winning the argument. He was interested in winning this person's soul. And our same approach has to be that, my friends. We have to be not interested in winning a debate or winning an argument. It is not our responsibility and not our job to play 20 questions or Bible trivia with the one we're talking to or to start spitting out and quoting Scripture to show one how knowledgeable we are. Many may say, well, I had a Bible study at work the other day. We met in the break room and we debated on this topic of baptism for salvation. We joined sides and we started debating with Scripture and going to turning to Scripture. But friends, the only problem is that with that is that's not a Bible study. We are more focused on winning an argument than the person's soul. Or also using social media out platforms. Some may say, well, I had a Bible study. I posted a religious article on Facebook or a Bible verse on Facebook. And I may have had an X number of amount, amount of, of likes to that, to that uh, particular post. But again, that's not a Bible study either. We have to keep in mind that we must get the person into the Bible. So we've got the Bible. We've got the tool, of course, using back to the Bible and those booklets. 
But again, how can we effectively get into a Bible study? And on this next slide, we have to show and stop telling. So you may ask, how do we do that? Let's look at another example from Jesus. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verses 25 through 35, we are given the description of a certain lawyer. Now, this is a little bit different than the other lawyer that addressed Jesus. You may notice in verse 25 that he said he came and tempting him. Even though he tempted him, even though Jesus could look into this person's heart and he knew their ulterior motive, he still was concerned for their soul. And he asked him the same question, that how do I inherit eternal life? But again, we may notice in verse 26, Jesus did not answer that question. Jesus deferred it, and he showed him what to do. He asked him in verse 26, he answered, What is written in the law, and how readest thou? When we get a person into a Bible study, and they actually read the scripture for their self, something happens to that person. They're no longer arguing with you because they have come face to face with God's Word. And there's no changing that. And with further study, they may disagree with that or try to continue an argument. But we ought not do that. We ought to stay with the study and continue following Jesus' example here. So Jesus addressed this, que this question with another answer and a rhetorical question. And this is also noted in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. If you would be turning there with me. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. This is all well known to us with this scenario playing out here. This had to deal with the chief priest and the elders. And in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23, the text says, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came, came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost, do, doest, doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Now, I can imagine if someone would come up to us and ask that very question, by what authority do you, are you a member of the church of Christ? Or by what authority do you, of your knowledge, uh, you have in your knowledge of Scripture? And I know we would probably be quick to answer that, wouldn't we? We may say that we're doing the will of God for encouraging, for, for reading and studying. But notice Jesus' answer here. In verse 24, And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing. So we can stop there. Jesus didn't answer the question. He said, Which, which if ye tell me, I, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he asked them the question. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or men? Now we're given a great teaching tool in this set of, of scriptures and Jesus' example here, 
First, we learn that anything done in religious circles is either from heaven or from men, but also in Jesus' response to this question. And of course, we all, know, we all know how this played out, and they reasoned among themselves. Verse 25, If we say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Verse 27, and Jesus' final answer to them. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And I have a suspicion that those chief priests and elders, they knew who Jesus was. They knew his Messiahship. But sadly, they many, a time, many times rejected him. So as we see Jesus' example here of showing and not telling and, def and deferring and not debating, that would bring us to the statement again that I mentioned earlier. The you may have had this question asked to you. Do you think you're the only ones going to heaven, you of, of the church of Christ? And friends, we may be quick to answer that, but I suggest we not. We don't answer that because, again, they're not ready for that answer. They have no concept of what the church is. Our, our ultimate goal is to get the person into the, into the Bible. And with a question asked like that, you may say, I'm not a good teller, but I can show you the answer. Again, you're looking for that window of opportunity to effectively ask that question, and the person with an honest and open heart is nine times out of ten going to agree to the study. I'm reminded of all those examples that Brother Rob used when he would go through those families that him and those members of the Willette Church of Christ did and their effectiveness that they had with the booklets, with the studies, and with the baptisms that they had from that. It was an absolute blessing. And friends, if we set our minds to that endeavor, it can be a blessing here at the Pippin congregation as well. We can grow. And the bottom line is here that the Bible has the power to break down a hardened heart. We're told that directly in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the Scripture is contains the power. That's where the power is. And again, anybody with an honest and open heart will come into terms with what the Bible says. And we'll develop more of those points as the series continues and when, as we look at the back to the Bible booklets. We're also told in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, and very commonly that is our, our authority for our, our singing and worship. But if you ever notice the first part of that, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That's what we have to do as Christians and as teachers and as teaching the lost. We have to let the word dwell in their hearts. And once again, when they're faced with God's word, they're not arguing with you anymore. And again, if they have an, an honest and open heart, they will obey what God has said regardless of their religious background, regardless of what their family taught, because they don't know 
the pattern of New Testament Christianity. They went along with the lines of being told all their lives that what they think is right. And they may know some passages here and there. But the whole purpose of them understanding New Testament Christianity and the church, that level of understanding is not there. And that's where we come in, my friends. That's where we come in to seek and to save that which was lost. And as we come to our last point tonight, point three, it's plant and don't pick. In Matthew chapter 10, verse, verse uh, 20, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 25, and the example of that rich young ruler, I think I wrote writ that down wrong. I apologize for that. But with the example of the rich young ruler, Jesus loved him and his spiritual condition. And so too we have to do the same. Jesus loved the person of that lawyer, as we noted in Luke 18, 18, because his ultimate goal was to teach to that person to get to heaven and his concern for his soul. We may remember when he taught that, that he used that as a teaching tool. And as if we're going to be effective evangelists and evangelize effectively, we have to care about people. We have to shower our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers with, with compassion with a humble heart, and we have to know that they care, that we care for them. That's where the relationship develops. And then once we start that relationship, the Bible study is a given. Again, we have to wait for the right time. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. There's another principle here that we all need to learn if we're going to do this effectively and to show care to one another. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we are told, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We all know that verse. We love that verse. And although that verse is used to uh, teach against religious division, you may want to go back up to that first phrase in that text. Praising God and having favor with all the people. We can take from this that the first century church were favored by the, by the common people of that day. They developed favor with those. They were eager to talk to others about the church. And we too, like them, have to develop that favor. We can't be mean, spirited, we can't be, have an arrogant attitude, and we can't be the one that everybody fears that, to see coming when we, when we walk into a, a, the place of work or pull into the, our driveways and our neighbors run from us. We have to develop favor. And with the proper attitude, that will develop. And then we, again, we can spread the gospel to those that are lost. And another important principle for us to learn is we cannot pick who might be a good candidate for the gospel. 
It's, this is sometimes referred to as selective evangelism. And the concept of the whole thing is absolute nonsense. It is taught nowhere in the New Testament scriptures. We are told in Romans, I'm sorry, we're told that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And who are we to, to judge somebody if they're not worthy of the gospel? Friends, you and I are not worthy of the gospel. Nobody will ever be worthy of the gospel. But we have to obey Christ. And we have to not have a mindset of picking who might fit that description. And this may come in different forms. You know, we, we may have an attitude of some time, well, they're, they're raised hardcore Baptist or hardcore Catholic, or that couple over there has lived together their whole lives, or there's two men living together over there. Friends, when we, when we start picking, we have no one left. And who needs the gospel more than those individuals? And with an attitude of, of them not changing, and if we have an attitude that they will never change, then we're not going to be very effective at this. Again, we have to get them into the Bible. We have to wait for the right opportunity and allow the timing to be right to offer the Bible study. And this, again, as we've noted, this takes place in different scenarios. We all know that. And we're going to know if we get to knowing a, a group of people long enough, we're going to know if the person is sincere or not. There may be some that at your place of work that might make fun of you for being a Christian. And just like that lawyer in Luke 18, they, can, they may come tempting us. But we have to understand, we still have to plant the seed. And we may do this like this. We may invite that person over to our home for a meal. And then we may suggest to them, and after we have a meal, we'll have a Bible study. Now, depending on their answer, they may say no, if they're sincere or not. But regardless of how the outcome, how the outcome plays out, we still planted the seed. And we're promised that it will not return void. Again, we can't be mean-spirited. We can't be backstabbers. We can't strive to get even at those that may make fun of us. But for those that are of, that have a, a, a curiosity for, for us and being members of the church, and for those that are about us that know us very well, those warm and hot contacts, as they're called, and as they're referred to, that Brother Rob pointed out to us, if we develop that favor, and we show them that they care, again, the Bible study is just a matter of time. But we have to do our part. Because we have to believe with all of our hearts as faithful Christians that Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We don't convert anybody personally. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. 
We can't turn evangelism into, oh, well, look at the ones I've converted. We don't convert. We're just a steward in the conversion process. We're just a helper, a soldier of God in fulfilling that commandment. And if we turn evangelism directed towards ourselves, then we might as well stop right then because it will not be effective. But we do have to believe that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I know the devil has made, has pulled the blinders of deception over us, that evangelism doesn't work in America anymore. But friends, it does. We just have to try. We have to do it. And we also need to be more braver in that endeavor. We need to get outside of our comfort zone and to strive to do that. Because our personality, our talents, and our everyday conversations about the weather, sporting events, football, or other things is not going to bring anyone to Christ. If we can talk positively about those things, and for our love for the gospel, surely we should be motivated to talk about the very thing that will save a person's soul. So in conclusion tonight, for our motivation for, 20, for 2020, and as we set out, uh, if it be the will of God, of God, a new year before us in the next couple of weeks, I pray that we will apply these things to our, to our daily lives with others that we meet in applying these principles and these concepts of defer and not debating, showing and not telling, and planting and not picking. And as a congregation, collectively, we can do this. We can change this decline, and we can change the church in America. And we can change the blessings. We can change the morality in America. Because the devil knows if we understand this, and we know how to effectively do this in our communities, then we know that his power has been crushed, and God will allow us to, re to, to reach out to those that are lost about us, and that we will fill this church building one precious soul at a time. But for tonight, are you right with God? If you're not, and you have allowed distance to come between you and God, I pray that you will rush down this aisle. It's our hope that you will, and that you will make those things right in your, in your life with God, because God needs you in His army. We need you here as a congregation. We need you for evangelism. If there be more, one or more that in this audience tonight that's lost, you fall into one, or, one of two major categories. One, you may have never obeyed the gospel. It is commanded of you that you believe with all your heart, repent, confess, and to be buried with Christ in baptism. And if you have done that and you've fallen away, God's promised to forgive you. If you'll confess those sins, we'll pray for you, and he's promised to forgive them. If we can help anyone tonight as we start our motivation for 2020, won't you let us know how we can help you while together we stand and sing.